welcome to Exploit It. I'm Alexis Shasky. I'm Kevin Daly. And this is our bonus episode where we're talking about Friday the 13th Part 2 from 1981, directed by the wonderful Steve Miner. June night in 1980, Friday the 13th, 12 of her friends were murdered. Why should Friday the 13th, 1981, be any different? Friday the 13th, part two. The body count continues. 14. said wonderful steve miner he's one of my favorite directors oh that's cool i'm actually not not outwardly familiar with him though i'll probably look him up now and be like oh yeah well he he's done great genre work because he did friday the 13th two and three house warlock uh halloween h2o lake placid oh lake placid nice uh, then he he did this period where he did, like, Forever Young, My Father the Hero, and Big Bully, but... Apparently he directed some Dawson's Creek and Wonder Years as well. Yeah, I mean, he he's a workman director. He's a journeyman. He's done a lot. And that's actually one thing that makes Friday the 13th really superior to Friday the 13th 1, is because Sean Cunningham was not a director. He was a producer. Stephen Miner is a director. He makes a tight, concise film. He doesn't have hour-long bathroom scenes like Cunningham did. That's true. I mean, Miner is a guy that knows what he's doing with the camera. I mean, he's no, you know, auteur. Spoiler, the pacing in this movie is a lot better than the... Uh, yeah, than the, the pacing is a lot better. I'll just say that right now. I specifically made a note about how much I like the pacing in this movie. Like I said, he's a great journeyman director. Um, he knows what he's doing. He can make a good movie and get it out there, and it's tight, concise, complete. He can make a product. And that's actually my first note on my thing here. Steve Miner with, like, four exclamation points. It's, like I said, the pacing was great. It's a, it's a good-looking good and a good, well-paced movie, for sure. 
So why Friday the 13th Part 2 exists is because, well, the first one made a, a lot of money. Capitalism. That's why this Part 2 exists. Uh, they put a little bit more money into this one. Then it shows. Yeah, it does show. I mean, they weren't making – they didn't throw millions at it. True, but – I think it the budget topped out at a million. Still like, what, two or three times as much as the previous one. Jumping into the movie – it has one of the longest cold openings until recently. Oh, what uh, what what beat it out recently? Oh, you've had a couple movies more recently. Uh, there was just this past year you had Drive My Car, that uh, Oscar nominee from Japan. Oh, I haven't seen that. And then you had Fresh, uh, that cannibal movie, Fresh, that's on Hulu with Sebastian Stan. Oh, huh. Yeah, I, I watched that one a few months ago. It it's good. It's 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 well worth watching. It's a good movie, okay. but it's going through its story, and then about like thirty minutes in, it just the title pops up and it goes to an opening credit sequence. Like thirty minutes in, after yeah, you're like long, long open, like you are already like totally invested in this movie, and then it just tears you out of the mood with this opening credit sequence. That might be a bit much. This one is. Uh... This one is pushing it. <laughs> Though, this is essentially just a recap from the first movie. Yeah, a lot of it is recap because back then people didn't have VCRs. I was I made a note of that. I said it's kind of weird because it would only been a year from the last movie, but there's no streaming or VCRs were – I think they existed, but they were incredibly uncommon, expensive, like $1,000 expensive. And, well, it's concise with its flashbacks. There are a lot of other horror sequels from this era, some of which we'll probably watch, that are half the damn movie is flashback. Yeah, we, um, it pretty much just focuses on the very tail end of the movie. It doesn't go a whole lot into, like, the early stuff. It does. You get the stuff with Alice, um, at the camp, the dead people, and she cuts off Pamela's head. Yep. And Jason drags her into the lake. Right. And this is intercut with Alice in bed in these horrible, horrible outfit. But with better hair. I liked her hair better in the first one. You like that? You like the uh, Mark I Hamill? I like that. Yeah. She had the Mark Hamill hair in the first one. But no, here, she, well, she's wearing green overalls with a green fucking sweater. It just looks horrible. Welcome to the 80s. We've, we've hit full 80s stride already by 81. I'm like, oh, that's not an outfit you wear to go out, but that's certainly not an outfit you use to lounge around at home. What the fuck are you wearing, lady? Yeah, I don't know. Well, she gets up and showers and then puts on a sensible bathrobe. Showers very quickly, too. She does, because it's actually the camera work here is really, really neat. Because it's a really long, unbroken, steady cam, and she gets it out is. of bed, she's talking on the phone, and the camera's just following her. Like, it's not a POV shot. The camera's just following her. And once she goes into the bathroom, we're, like, I don't know, supposed to think it magically became a POV. Because, really, it's all really focused on her face. It's all close-ups up until she goes into the bathroom. Yeah. And she opens the curtain to shot at the cameraman for spying on her, I guess. Yeah, something like that. The notes I have here, we get the idea that Jason is outside ready to kill her. Right, well, somebody... Somebody. But then when you realize it's Jason, how the fuck did he track her down? That's a good question, because she does not live anywhere near, right? Like, she's gone. Like, gone, gone. I mean, she talks about 
in the first movie having to go back home to California to take care of stuff. So she might not even be on the same coast as Crystal Lake. Yeah, we don't even know where she is. It does not, admittedly, it does not look like California where she lives. It looks like she's living on Elm Street, I'm going to be honest. Jason may just have gotten her before Freddy did. But she's definitely not near Camp Crystal Lake. That's where she's not. No. And somehow, Jason, spoiler alert, Jason had decided to wander from Crystal Lake, look up this woman that's definitely living under the radar. Because, interesting note, the actress was really staying off of the radar. Because she ended up with a psycho, creepy stalker after the first movie. So she wasn't doing any acting. I think that she dies in the beginning of this movie, spoilers, that because, largely because, uh, on her own choice. Well, no, she only wanted to be in the movie for a little bit. Right, so I think that... So they wrote in her death, and she's like, oh, oh, I die? I Okay, then. <laughs> I mean, that works. Then she never has to do it again. She can hide from her stalker and kind of go back to being, you know, under the radar. I will say that that is a trope I genuinely hate. The, I'm, we're going to kill off the previous protagonist in the beginning of the movie because it's like like pro wrestling to me. It's like, oh, you got to have the, the face put over the new heel. I just, I hate it. In this case, I'll, I'll tolerate it just because she did not, Adrian King, I believe is her name, mm-hmm. had the stalker and she didn't really want to be on screen very much. And she kind of just did it to, well, to basically do that. And... Well, because at one point they wanted her back as the protagonist. Yeah, it's just it just sucks because it may, it just every time you kill off a, a survivor from the previous movie, it just kind of negates the previous movie. It's like why even bother? Well, that's one thing. It's like I I said on the last episode, none none of the above the line staff wanted to come back to this one. Right. Uh, well, Steve Miner was actually a uh, associate producer on the first movie. Yeah. Um, he came back, but Sean S. Cunningham, Victor Miller, Todd Savini, they were all out. They were like, what, the killer's Jason? Fuck this shit. Yeah. Cunningham wanted to make Friday the 13th an anthology series. Oh, with different, uh, different totally, killers? Uh, totally different stories. Stories all, all taking place on Friday the 13th. Yeah, like a American Horror Story kind of thing. Oh, I like that. Would have been a great idea. And that's what they wanted to do with Halloween too. That also would have been a great idea. But Alice is she's killed. She gets a nice pick to the head after she finds Pamela Voorhees' severed head in her refrigerator. Relatively bloodless death, by the way. In fact, completely bloodless, at least in the version I watched. Speaking of bloodless deaths, Friday the Thirteenth Part One has an uncut version. Yes. The rest, you can obviously tell that they're cut. But they're not uncut versions out there. Huh. It's not until 9 and stuff that uncut version and director's cut became a marketing gimmick for DVD. But parts 2 through 8, they're just, this is what you get. And the MPAA were on them more. You had parents groups and Siskel and Ebert didn't like them. So they were always under a lot of pressure. I mean, it's not like we haven't had like violent, gory movies up to this point. Again... I'd like to point out that, you know, what, Cannibal Holocaust came out in the 80s, right? Yeah. You had, but that I mean, was a grindhouse like, film. That wasn't really going to be in your multiplex. I know, but I'm just saying, it's not like these films didn't exist and, you know, weren't available for people to see. Yes, this is mass marketed, but it's not like it violates any sort of laws. 
And this is obviously a lot tamer compared to... Oh, yeah, definitely. Way, way tamer. Even even compared to, to Blood Feast, it's way tamer. It is, but a higher body count, though. True. If we gave every body count, every dead body here, the Blood Feast treatment... That's true. It would be pretty, pretty grim. Um, one note I have here before we get out, out to the credits is there's a cat jump scare. Oh, I hate it. I hate that so much. I literally wrote jump scares hate them so much. I, I wrote cat jump scare trope. Uh, but we do also get the old one-sided phone conversation, which I do enjoy. But at least she's contributing to the conversation. It's true. It's just funny to hear. It's like, yep, uh, just talking not, to herself. It's not like in Blood Feast where we get the person going, uh-huh, yeah, uh-huh, yeah. No, we get Alice, like, delivering backstory with her one side of the conversation. It's a step up in quality from uh, from, Blood Feast. from Blood Feast. And so we get our opening credits. Directed by Michael Bay, big explosions. Oh yeah, because it has Friday the 13th and then Kaboom! Part 2. Music still by Henry Manfredini. Um, same music. I don't even think he actually really wrote new stuff. No, I don't. Yeah, I think it's just edited differently. That's about it. It doesn't need to be. I mean, truthfully, does it need, did it need to write any more stuff? No, he doesn't. He doesn't write really big new stuff until 3. When he discos out in three, but we'll get to that in January. <laughs> <laughs> for our second batch of Friday the 13th movies. <laughs> long, long-term spoilers. We get a fresh bounce account, fresh bunch of counselors going to camp five years later. Yes, we're in 84 now. So this takes place in 1984. Also, that means this movie is set in the future from when it was made. And we have... A couple, um, what is it? It's Jeff and Sandra. Oh, yes. Uh, I, I think I described her. I think I said Sandra is looking really booby in that shirt. And it's weird because that actress is underage. Yeah, that's... Yeah. Uh, that's why we don't get an actual real sex scene with her. And Jeff, keep wanting to say Jack because he is the Kevin Bacon character. They are yes. our Jack and Marcy. He literally, he literally even looks like... Kevin Bacon. It's kind but of disturbing. She was like 16 or 17 at the time. But yeah, she's... Uh, the movie's a little bit more bouncy. Well, this <laughs> one also has full-fledged nudity, which we'll get to. Right, well, yeah, we're... we're step. Uh, but my point is, we're stepping off on the exploitation here. We are. Now, this one we've, is we've definitely... Moved on, we've moved on up. Uh, they're on their way to camp. Uh, well, it's not even camp. It's like a camp for counselors to train to be counselors. It's tra- It's boot camp for counselors. But it's like retraining because they're all like, the Experience. guy that runs it is like, oh, we've all worked before. We all know what it's, it's like. It's Top Gun. It is. It is it's Top, Top Gun. Gun. It's Top Gun for camp counselors. I watched the trailer for Top Gun 2 before Doctor Strange. Early buzz is good. And they're the, you literally have a line in there like, well, we're the best of the best. Who's supposed to train us? Which is pretty much what happens here. And I'm like, oh, it's fucking Maverick, and this is the Top Gun sequel. Fuck you, Theater. <laughs> but we get, we do get a Crazy Ralph scene. He's a true, he's the true star of these films, but only the, only these first two. Exactly. And nobody, nobody points out to him that they're not going to the same camp. Apparently, the whole, the whole lake is is Jason's uh, territory. Basically, and anything that's on the lake that can go to another place. Right. Part eight, 
We have this boat that goes from Crystal Lake to New York somehow. Well, it's a por- I'm guessing it's just a portal from hell because it is Jersey, so I just assume. Yes. Well, their their trucks getting towed. Yes, his bro truck. Yeah, his bro truck, and he has to go bro out. That's my truck. That's my truck. And it's yep. And it's uh, what's this kid's name? Ted. Ted. He's our practical joke. Well, a lot of our practical jokes in this series are these named Ted, Ned. Yeah. We went from Ned to Ted. Ted is not as bad. Now, Ted's all right. Ted's actually Ted's a decent dude for the most part. I mean, he makes a really shitty joke, but they're not too off color. I kind of like some of his really bad jokes. They actually made me giggle. Yeah. Well, he's he's not groping people or dressing up and as an no, Indian. He's just telling bad like punny jokes. Like on their ride to camp, he tells the joke about the, like, oh, and the bear wiped his ass with the rabbit. Yeah, let's see, what did I, I said, I actually kind of liked that joke, even though it's super lame. It's lame, and you know you've heard it before. But I liked it anyway. He tells another one later that I thought was pretty funny. What's Brown and sits at a piano? Yeah, yeah, that one. Beethoven's last movement. Beethoven's last movement. I like, I like that was a, it's a kind of a dad joke. I kinda, it is. I kind of dug it. Well, you know this guy's a granddad now, probably. Jeez, yeah, probably. They get to camp, and we're just going to call it camp. Yeah, I mean, it is a camp. And we get our head counselor, Paul. Paul Holt. Yeah. This guy has a last name. And he's like a counselor guru. Yeah. He's he's Maverick. Or he, yeah. <laughs> In the new Top Gun movie. He's the Maverick. He's seen it all. He's the maverick of counselors. That's right. He gives the safety speech, which I I wrote down, actually, but because the speech always gets me, because he talks about all the tools that you will see being used to murder people. Oh, yeah. <laughs> That's good. Some foreshadowing. He talks about, like, all of these tools, axes, saws, all this, you know, they're, they're dangerous. If you don't know how to use them, they can kill you. Then he mentions bears, which never show up in the movies. Oh, yeah, he has this whole thing about bears, which... Bears can... Apparently bears can smell the menstruation. Yeah, and I don't like... He gets that line, and he just kind of, like, nervously spits it out, like, uh, make, make sure you clean up during your menstrual cycle. And the other people, these adult counselors, all in their 20s, kind of look at the women and giggle. Like, what are you, sixth grade? Fuck off. Women have periods? What? Yeah, you people are in your 20s. You know this. Half of... You're all fucking. You know this. I'm assuming that it's just New Jersey education. If we have any listeners in New Jersey, I'm sorry. I'm just going to keep ripping into your state. I haven't looked at our stats, but we probably do. One of my favorite songs is uh, Bloodhound Gang's 10 10 Best Things About New Jersey. It's 10 Seconds of Silence. And one of my least favorite bands is Bon Jovi from New Jersey. (laughs) These guys all look like they're in Bon Jovi. And we also get... Well, we get kind of glances of all the other people we're going to meet. We get Vicky, who's the one that's going to be thirsty for wheels. Yeah. I can't remember. That's a sad one. Terry is the the girl with the butt. That's my note. (laughs) Yeah, there's uh, some nice lingering shot on... uh, She also likes really, really short crop tops, apparently. And incredibly tight, tight shorts. Yep. And apparently she likes being shot in the butt cheek by slingshots because scott scott shoots her with the slingshot and, and she, it, 
the shot always gets me because it hits her on the left, but she grabs her right cheek and goes, ow! I mean, yeah, well, I've that's... noticed it for every time I've watched this movie, she grabs the wrong cheek. And I'm like, that's not like a really big error because you would have felt that hit your butt. That's your cue for which cheek to grab. <laughs> that's right. It was probably a, it was probably a bunch of takes and they just edited it. A bunch of takes, and she's got she's got fucking welts on that side. That's why she doesn't grab <laughs> it. That's right. It just hurts too much. Uh, but Scott's our our awful awful character. Yeah, Scott's our pervert. Everyone else is pretty tolerable. Scott's a piece of shit. Early on, like the characters, none of them really seemed that interesting to me. But like Scott was an ass, and then like they kind of grew on me as the movie went on. Except for Scott. Scott's an ass, but unlike the other movies that we get to later in the franchise, we only have one asshole. As you go further into the series, they're all assholes. It's true, but to be fair, as you go further into the series, Jason kind of becomes the protagonist. He kind of does. He becomes the, the angel of vengeance. You're just, like, cheering for him to kill these fucking idiots. Like, that. <laughs> that's... I mean, he's literally the hero in Freddy vs. Jason. He is! Because the, the, they, they are summoning Jason to kill Freddy. Yeah. Freddy is the bad guy that only Jason can vanquish. That's right. Um, But we'll get to that. I don't I love, know when. I, fuck, I love that fucking movie, but <laughs> we don't know when that, that'll come up, but I love that movie. Um, We're going to stop real quick for commercial break, and we'll be right back. Totally Sane Ralph here from Harbinger Radio with fresh new prophecy for you. Camp Blood has a death curse. You're all doomed if you go there. Axes, knives, lanterns, saws, they can all be trouble. Their misuse is the main cause of camp accidents. If you don't take proper care of your equipment, you'll be doomed. All doomed! And there are bears in the woods. They are dangerous. They will eat you. Heed my warning, snow food fights. Change often because food odors often cling to clothing. If you're a woman, don't use perfume and keep clean during your menstrual cycle, your monthly curse, your curse of blood that can summon bears. Tune in to Harbinger Radio, hosted by Totally Sane. Stop calling me crazy, I fucking mean it, Ralph. I'm a messenger of God with prophecies of camping safety. You're all doomed! Doomed! Doomed. Doomed. Sadly, there's no one in these movies I like quite as much as Swole Ronnie. No, we don't get a Swole Ronnie with this one. No, no Swole Ronnie. Actually, well, we get Swole Wheels. He's got some up yeah, that dude's, Yeah, he's got, he's got some. And actually, Ted is Ted's actually in pretty good shape. Oh, I have a thing to say about Ted. He comes, because they do that story, and apparently... Jason is now some sort of myth, which didn't exist in the previous film at all. Yeah, they do the campfire story where Paul gives the the history of Jason. And Ted jumps out wearing a loincloth and a mask. 
And Ted's got a really solid body. Yeah, he's in good shape. Ted is in good shape. He's got like swimmer's bodies. I can. He's cut. I was like, I want to watch that scene again. Yeah. <laughs> I was like, man, I was not expecting Ted to be shaped like that. All right. Fair he's enough. got he's got those. He's got a six pack and some pronounced cum gutters and you know he's, he's, he's in good shape. But that story, that the campfire story, which is used in pretty much every single movie ever. Oh yeah. I, I mean, mean that's the classic like. Coach. I don't want to scare anyone, but I'm going to give it to you straight about Jason. His body was never recovered from the lake after he drowned. And if you listen to the old-timers in town, they'll tell you he's still out there. Some sort of demented creature. Surviving in the wilderness. Full-grown by now. Stalking. Stealing what he needs. Living off wild animals and vegetation. Some folks claim they've even seen him. Right in this area. The girl who survived that night at Camp Blood, that... Friday the 13th, she claimed she saw him. She disappeared two months later, vanished. Blood was everywhere. No one knows what happened to her. Legend has it that Jason saw his mother beheaded that night, that he took his revenge. A revenge that he'll continue to seek if anyone ever enters his wilderness again. And by now, I guess you all know, we're the first to return here. Five years, five long years, he's been dormant. And he's hungry. Jason's out there. Watching. Always on the prowl for intruders. Waiting to kill. Waiting to devour. Thirsty for young blood. Hey, come back, come back! Oh, um, it's in like every movie. It's really, really concise and atmospheric. It really gets a history and mythos of Jason. And they use it in every movie. And do you think any of the actors in this scene know that they were going to be in every Friday the 13th movie? Probably not. They're like, oh, they're probably watching part seven going, well, if I'd have known, I'd have done my hair better. Yeah, right. I would have negotiated a better uh, residuals deal. Yeah. <laughs> But yeah, they do the Jason story that Jason, you know, five years ago, there was Cramp Crystal Lake, and then Alice disappeared a couple months later, and it's been five years, and locals say they've seen him, and Ted jumps out and screams, and Paul says, Jason doesn't exist, and Camp Crystal Lake is off limits, which immediately sets Sandra into having this quest to, we must see Crystal Lake. We must go bowing over at the other camp. For the longest time, every every line out of her mouth is grabbing Jeff's crotch and going, Can we see the Crystal Lake? I just gotta see Camp Blood. Yeah. In her bikini and shit. Yeah. I, uh, she's 
definitely aroused by serial killer sites. I mean, whatever, whatever you like, kid. No kink shaming here, but uh, it's kind of dangerous to do that in this particular movie. And we only have one death that night. Yes. Crazy Ralph. <sighs> I was so sad. Ki- why kill him? I don't know. That's a good question. He's just there. Like I don't. I don't know. Sad. Well, it's weird because um, Pamela Voorhees. I understand her motivation. She doesn't want the camp to open. So anything associated with this camp reopening, she's going to destroy. So Crazy Ralph is on her side. Right. She, she's fine with him. Jason, he's on a misguided revenge for his mother. Yeah, we're getting into kind of Kill Bill territory of cycles of vengeance. And I'm sure there's some sort of deeper philosophical discussion we can have about, about the uh, cycles of death. That actor actually comes back, though. Oh, does he? He narrates the prologue of Part 7, not in character as Crazy Ralph. It's just the same actor. Just the actor. Um, that's like a deep cut. Like, you have to be really into the series to catch that. <laughs> Crazy Ralph was doing some perving in that scene because uh, Ginny. Ginny? We didn't even get Ginny's arrival. Yeah, and her uh, car that really needs an oil change. Her fucking bug. It's like backfiring. She's learned how to use the stick shift better. Like, even when she's pulling up to the camp and her car's just backfiring along the road, Ralph even looks at it and goes, the fuck is going on? Yeah. And then he throws some shade at Burger King. Oh, yeah. Jenny, put your car in the lot. This looks like a goddamn Burger King. I felt, I, I felt, I felt attacked. I like Burger King. I'm like, is that intentional product placement or not? It seems like anti-product placement. <laughs> McDonald's paid for McDonald's them to say paid Burger King. McDonald's paid for that one. Because they do that. There's some movie, I don't know, where Pepsi paid for them to have Coke machines in the bad guy's headquarters. That's really funny. Um, But we get the next morning. They're all out running. And Muffin, the dog. Terry has this little, like, I don't know, what is it a, a Shih Tzu mix? Fake dog, as my uh, my family is prone to calling dogs that are, are uh, built that way. <laughs> Fake dog? Fake Maltese dog. Shih Tzu thing. So, Muffin. Yeah. Fake dog. Muffin the fake dog goes into the woods and runs into stranger feet. Yep. And we're like, oh no, is he going to kill the dog? Cut to Paul making hot dogs. <laughs> Not out of the dog. Funny anyway. But it, it's, well, that's actually a, a, a minor thing. He does that, he does those kind of like related, kind of like, oh, ha ha cuts. Ooh. Like in um, H2O, there's a scene where you think it's a killer's knife coming down. Oh yeah. And it stabs into a pumpkin, and it's a child cutting a pumpkin. Yeah, yeah. Where it's playing the creepy music, and you see the butcher knife, and it stabs into a pumpkin. You know, that's it, it's a lot very similar to that. She's uh, Ginny's got the chainsaw going. Yeah, foreshadowing. Yeah, I'm like, I wrote that. That seems important for the future. Even though not big foreshadowing, I mean, it really isn't. But it's a good scene, but it's not a critical scene. Right. But also. You know, compared to Paul's speech. Yeah. So they're all swimming. That's when we get... Jenny tells a joke first. Right, and it's really bad. Yeah, I, I heard that when I was four years old. Yes. Then tell, Ted tells a, a much better better joke. He tells his classical music corpophagia joke. I mean, I never knew I needed that combination in my life, but apparently I did. 
and Jeff and Santa decide to make their little sojourn to Camp Blood. Yep. And they find Ooh, some fucking. Yep. They find a dead dog that really sets the mood, doesn't it? Yep. And the cop coitus interrupted. Well, they're they're not actually fucking yet, but not yet. They 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 just managed to cross into the cross the line into Camp Crystal Lake before the cop shows up. And drags him back to camp and yells at Paul about, like, the fuck you doing open this place up next to Crystal Lake? That place is, you know, curse. Everybody in town hates you, Paul. That's right. And Paul tries to send Jeff and Sandra away, and the cop's like, why aren't you going to fucking reprimand him? No extra helpings of dessert tonight. Yeah, no seconds on dessert. And the, the look on the cop's face, like, really? Are you fucking kidding me, Paul? I love the Paul trolls the hell out of that cop. It's funny. Because he does actually give them a legitimate punishment later. Yes, he does. Yeah, you know, well, more, I mean, it was, well, a more appropriate. It, it turned out to be a, a death sentence, but but it's a more appropriate punishment. Yes, it, it is. Basically, grounded them. And so the cop, he's driving through the woods, and he sees a figure, the shape. Where did Jason get his clothes from, by the way? Yeah, because if so the question I had is like. This guy couldn't have just sauntered sauntered up to, like, the general store in town, right? And been like, this is, like, big, crazy-looking, like, it just bought some dickies. Like, I don't... Where do you I, get the clothes? He killed some fucking New Jersey farmer? I guess. That must have been it. Also, Sanders' pants got something going on in that scene. Like, half of them are, like... Like, a brown cloth is, like, sewed onto them or something. <laughs> I don't even know what's going on there. Well, they're all wearing these... Sexy outfits. She's still in her like bikini top, huh? That's yeah, it. she still has her bikini top because let's let's show off the miner's tits. I mean, she is the most well endowed of the ladies in the movie. Yeah, and she's the youngest. So I mean, we're in an exploitation field, goddammit. I mean, we can't actually show them, but we're gonna get around as much of it as we can. Yeah, it's an exploitation movie. If they exist, we're gonna flaunt them. Yep. We're gonna go, we're gonna flaunt as much as possible. So the cop chases after the shape. Yes, because apparently it's illegal for some guy to be running around in the woods. Well, I, I think he's in the Camp Blood area, the Camp I, Blood Woods. Yeah, that's why he's like, "Oh, you fucking goddamn kids!" Oh, I guess, but I mean, like, he's a really gung ho about chasing this dude in the woods. And there's a shot during this chase scene where we see Jason's feet run through this creek. Right. And then we see the cop run through the creek. Uh-huh. And then way later in the climax of the movie, we see Jenny run through the same creek in the same shot. That kind of tells us where they're going. Jason also runs like he's going to take a dump. <laughs> well, he has a toilet for it. That's true. Which is he another does. thing. You're wondering about his clothes. I'm wondering how did he build a fucking house with a toilet? I uh, maybe yeah. I have no idea. There's, and there's layers to Jason. And it's either a functioning toilet or a symbolic one because the water in there ain't full of floaties. No. So yeah. I mean, the only thing in there that really turns the cop's stomach is he opens what we later find out is the shrine. Ah, uh, yes, 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 yes. And he's like, oh my god. And we get one of the better deaths, although it's really, really cut, but it's a harsh death. Yeah. The cop gets the claw of a hammer right into his skull. 
that actually was something, you know, hammers were used with uh, Warhammer, medieval Warhammer hat, were usually with the hammer on one side and the spike on the other. Those were used to puncture into helmets. Uh, turns out it works really well in heads, too. Yeah, and the way he, like, recoils and screams is so believable. Not super, uh, again, not, not super bloody, right? Like, but super painful. Yeah, I mean, it's definitely a visceral kill, for sure. And it's, but it's interesting, so far, the movie's, like, gore quotient is actually fairly low, on the low end of things. Yeah, there's a lot that was intentionally cut. Not like it exists. There's one that exists uncut, but oh, we'll get to that one. But these were, as they were shot, that they were self-centering before the fact. Yeah, they were really trying, worried about getting a, an X, I guess. I don't, I don't know when they changed X to NC-17, what year that was, but yeah, that rated. Four showgirls. <laughs> yeah. Uh, but then it's nighttime, and they're all eating dinner. And we really start getting that uh, Vicky is thirsty for wheels. Yeah, which I, that's kind of nice. I mean, she's not laying it on so hard yet, but we, the audience, know. Well, he's in training, so, as he keeps reminding us. Yeah, unspecified training. I'm assuming football? Because she's like, what are you in training for? And he just kind of gives her a a shrug. (laughs) Just whatever. Just general training. Yeah. You know, she does establish that he's not paralyzed, that there is feeling there. Yeah. That he, he, he broke his, he, he hurt his legs in a motorcycle accident. It could have been a back, but not far enough wrong that make that, his junk not work. That he might be walking again with some appropriate physical therapy. Yes, that is, I mean, that's what he's hoping for. Says he doesn't want to die in that chair. Well. What you're going to, dude. About, about that. Not in this movie. It's a horror film. It's a slasher film, guy. Sorry. Sorry, dude. You ain't in some football underdog fucking movie. No, here. wrong wrong movie for that. Sorry. You're not the blind side, dude. Right. But they're all, um, Paul's like, we're going to take everybody to the bar. Right. Except for Sandra and Jeff. They wandered off. You guys got to stay. And then a couple of other ones are, the, the basically the couples that want to fuck stay at the camp. Wheels. I can't remember his name. That's why I keep calling him Wheels, which is a horribly... Uh, Mark. Mark. Mark stays because he's like, nothing brings down a, ball, a party like a dot guy in a wheelchair. And uh, and Vicky's like, I don't care about the wheelchair. I still want some of this. Like, that's that's very cool. That's very, uh, very nice. Vicky stays because she's thirsty. And uh, what's her name? Butt Girl. Oh, uh, Terry. Terry stays because she still has to look for her dog. And and go some skinny dipping alone. And Scott stays because he's going to sexually harass Terry. Right. Uh, uh, Yeah, exactly. Uh, And then... Terry just likes nature, I'm guessing, because there's really... This isn't like, oh, let's go skinny dipping. She literally just walks out there, takes off her clothes, and goes skinny dipping. Well, no, she walks out there and she shouts, Muffin, Muffin... Muffin a few times, and then just decides to trip down and go skinny dipping. Just like it just feels, I feel like going out in the lake nude. All right, fair enough. And we get like full on nudity. Yeah, there's, there's there's some bush. Yeah, a little bit of uh, hint, little hint, not no full frontal, but it hit a side side bush. We get the hair, but not the lips. That's right. Oh, a joke that we used to make back in the day that um 
with movies. That pubic hair is nature's censor bar. <laughs> it kind of is. Which became more of a problem as the with women, fashions not men. change, so to speak. Yeah, right. As fashions change, so to speak, things uh, became more difficult. Everybody else goes to the bar. All of the people that weren't going to be appearing in this movie. Right. All, all the random characters that had, like, no lines. Also yep. dead. Um, the Asian camper goes. The, the black guy with the rainbow suspenders goes. Basically, we're just offloading the minorities. Good call, though, because this is a slasher film. Oh, yeah, those people were going to die if they stayed. Yeah, for sure. They had to get to the fuck off out of the movie bar and that's, casino. That's right. Which was an actual bar and casino that burned down two years after the movie was made. That's sad. There's a live band there. Yes. Which is an actual band that's given special thanks. Their name escapes me. I didn't write it down. But they have a website. Like, this band is still together. Nice. And they're performing gigs. And their website is like, has featured in Friday the 13th, part two. Okay. They're like... Buffalo Boys or something. You know, I'm actually going to look it up now. Um, part 2 band. Smokey Boys. Smokey Boys. Yeah, that, that that sounds like a Boggy Creek 2 band. Like, not even Deliverance level. They are Boggy Creek 2. <laughs> not even Boggy Creek, just Boggy Creek 2. Yeah. <laughs> two steps down. Because we get Terry skinny dipping, and she comes out. We get all those scenes, and... Scott has been a total asshole and stolen her clothing. Right. Perving out. And he gets himself caught in a fucking trap. Yeah, it's, you know, he's literally hanging around. <laughs> he's hanging out with the family. Right. And uh, Terry tells him not to go anywhere. I'm, I'm like, oh, why are you going to help him, Terry? Just fucking leave him. I know, right? But no, she goes all the way back and gets herself a, a knife. A fucking little Swiss army knife. That ain't gonna cut through the rope. Probably not. Those things are really shitty. But in the meantime, I know you love throat slitting. Yeah, no, Jason shows up, does some throat, throat slitting. She comes up and finds his body, and it's actually a really clever shot, because she runs away screaming, and her screaming turns into the howl, the whine of that Fender guitar at the bar. Oh, yeah, yeah, it was a good cut. A really good cut. And at the bar, because we're established that Jenny is going for her master's in, in child psychology. Right. I'd like to point out up to this point, Jenny was kind of annoying. But she kind is. Of an ass, kind of an ass to Paul. Well, she's playing on him because she shows up late and she goes, well, I, I have the pussy you like, so whatever. Yeah, basically. She's kind of, kind of mean. At the bar, she really, like, puts up her her child psychology stuff and tries to do a profile of Jason. Right. Just outlines like, oh, this kid, you know, he, he doesn't know what death is. He's a, a wild kid that grew up in the woods. Saw his mom get killed. Yeah, I, I never ran out. That's the assumption. Anyway. And that he probably has her head in some shrine and is praying for her resurrection. Right, exactly. Yeah, she fucking nails it. Yep. Girl, she, kills it um she's actually one of the stronger final girls of the series yeah she's i mean she's cool well she is a fan favorite because i told you before i was listening to a ton of different podcasts about friday the 13th movies and really a general consensus amongst all of those podcasts they love her she is a fan favorite she's cool is she kind of like a little bit multi-dimensional because she's not like the nice sweet innocent girl she's you know she's an adult woman 
psychology major. She's a bit of a flirt. She kind of likes to tease and maybe slightly abuse her lover. She's confident. She acts proactively. But she also has a lot of empathy for, you know, somebody who's a, a homicidal maniac. Yeah. I mean, so she's, you know, she's got layers and she's pretty cool. There's a lot of depth to her. Yeah, su- surprising amount of depth to uh, to Ginny here. I was uh, surprised. But then we go back to the camp for the massacre. Yep. The massacre occurs very quickly. Um, Terry, we actually don't even know how she dies. She dies off screen yeah. in mysterious ways because when we see her body later. You still can't tell. You still can't tell. She's just laying there. No cuts or anything. Yeah. Like, is this Jason's one strangling death? Maybe. Did she have a heart attack? <laughs> That's what I wonder. Maybe she got so scared that she had a heart attack and Jason just shows up and goes, huh, okay, drag her out. So the deaths we have, well, Vicky is thirsty as hell for Scott. Yep, Mark. 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 Scott's the guy. Scott's the sexual harasser. Yeah, he's the... He's the sex. Secretary. Marcus Wheels. Um, Marcus because, Wheels. Yeah. Well, Just call like, him Wheels. I only want your fingers. Yeah, that is. Uh, <laughs> they want to play for position. Yeah, and she says, "I want to play for position." And, you that, know, she is laying it on hard. The, the innuendo is strong. And so she goes back to her cabin to get ready, freshen up. Ah, oh, and she pulls out the ugliest pair of brown panties. I'm like, girl, those aren't attractive. I mean, <laughs> look, it's 1981. Well, it's set in 84, but... Yeah, but even when she's walking around in them, it just looks like she's pooped. Yeah, well, and she takes off a perfectly reasonable pair of black ones for it, so I don't yeah. know what's going on in her mind. And then she sprays perfume, which she is summoning bears with that. That's true. Like, this girl was going to die. If there was no Jason, she was going to get eaten by a bear. This girl's by dead. By bears. Yeah. And then yeah. she sprays it into her panties. I'm like, now you're like, just going to get... Is that get... girls do? No. No, that's how you get yeast okay. infections. <laughs> okay, good. I literally wrote, do girls do that? No, they don't. <laughs> I've never seen it before, so... I mean, it. it's... It's perfume with alcohol in it that you're going to spray down? No. Um, but I'm, I'm surprised the actress didn't even fact check that. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe it wasn't actual perfume. It was just some water. Well, do you think she told Steve Miner, like, oh, uh, 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 Mr. Director, uh, uh, women do never do this. You, you, they never should. Steve Miner goes, shut the fuck up and spray it in your panties. <laughs> <laughs> it's an explanation film, damn it. <laughs> we leave her there. We don't kill her yet. No, but uh, but Wheels. Wheels gets the best death in the whole fucking franchise. Yeah, he uh, he gets macheted in the head and then knocked down a flight of stairs on his wheelchair. And a fucking freeze frame at the bottom of the steps. It's uh, those old memes with, like, Professor X greatest weakness stairs. <laughs> And he died in the chair. Sad. Yep, he did. And Literally get, died in the chair. He did. We get we cut back to the bar. And he and never got to fuck Vicky. He didn't, but I don't think he wanted to. Yeah, maybe not. Well, the actor was openly gay. Oh. Uh, it's interesting behind the scenes. It's because that actress really was thirsty for him. Oh, and he was gay. And he was openly gay. 
a flip on things. Like, uh, yeah, that's amusing. We cut back to the bar, and Paul and Jenny are leaving. And Ted lives. Our fool lives. I know. I was shocked. I'm, I have all these notes about, oh, I like Ted. He's too bad he's going to die. That character never cut it. That sort of character never lives. No, he's left at the fuck out of the movie <laughs> Bar and Grill. The, all the people who left and stayed at that bar for after hours partying, all of those guys made the best decision in any horror movie in the history of movies. But also, Ted is fucking trashed. Oh yeah, Ted's completely... And he wants he has, to go to the after party. <laughs> he does. He's got like ten bottles of beer in front of him, and the, the bartender's like, do you want me to clear these? And he says all slurred, no, I'm collecting them. <laughs> I'm like, here's my hey, headcanon for Ted. He, um... Woke up the next morning on the floor of the bartender's bathroom going, fuck, fuck, I gotta get back to camp. He shows up and there's just like police tape and bodies everywhere. No, 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 she tells him. Oh, best decision ever. The but only time we're getting blackout drunk paid off. No, but that's my official headcanon is he, he woke up the next morning on her bathroom floor, arms still around the toilet. That's right. Still better than having died. Maybe not at the moment, but post facto. Uh, well, I mean, like, Friday the 13th is the next day. He should have been, like, hungover in that movie. He should have been the harbinger of that movie. I would have. Fucking half drunk on the street, like, oh, my friends are dead. You're doomed. <laughs> All doomed. <laughs> Are you stuck in a slasher movie and you know that you're not final girl material? Do you need a fun place to hide while all your friends are slaughtered? Well, my name is Jill and I'm the barkeep here at Fuck Off Out of the Movie Bar and Casino. I'm here to help you out. Drink all you want. Nobody's going to cut you off. Stay forgotten while everyone else dies trying to fight off that crazy, unstoppable killer. Whether you're an out-of-shape prankster or a minority, you aren't going to make it through the movie. We all know that how these movies play out. If you stay back at Camp Blood, you would only have suffered some embarrassing death. You don't want that drama, so come on down to fuck off out of this movie, Bar and Casino. We got drink specials, live music, and plenty of things to keep you occupied while your friends are away getting hacked to death at camp. The only thing we don't have here is last call, because who knows how long that Jason will be killing people in the woods. Now come on down to fuck off out of the movie, bar, and casino, and stay as long as you like. Hope to see you real soon. But we go back to camp, and um, we get the Jeff and Sandra double death. Yeah, it's pretty good. It's one of those scenes where it, it cuts to it right at the orgasm. Yep. Where it's just a, oh, okay, we're done. Well, again, you can't do. She's underage. So. Yeah, she's, she's underage. Um, can't, can't push the uh, envelope too much there. And they're cuddling in bed. He's on top of her, and Jason comes in with a spear now. The uh, spear Ted had used for his his antics. And he spears them both, a double impalement, which we don't see much of. But 
The shot of them all gory and double impaled is on the back of the VHS. Yeah, that's the scene they cut, right? Yeah, um, the footage kind of exists. It's not finished footage. It's a very efficient kill. I saw it listed on YouTube, but I didn't click it because the, uh, the preview image looked like ass. Sounds like like YouTube. Oh, that's just dailies. (laughs) Um, well, no, that, that, that's actually the, the, responsible side of youtube if, if it was a real youtuber they would have put like reaction to uncut to the uncut scenes and just have you won't believe what they filmed and, and somebody's shocked face next to this you know neon colored writing of you won't believe yeah that's right clickbait this is real yeah, yeah, you know, putting up a like a really shitty ass grainy daily footage as your profile as your uh, preview image, it's probably more legit. But the thing I had said about Jason with weapons is that he's leveling up his skills. That's why he's ver- varying his weapons. He's developing the talent points. Yeah, you need to diversify, of course. Yep, you gotta spend those early levels. Right. To where you can get to Jason X and your unarmed skill is maxed out. Exactly. This is the these are the lobies killing the easy targets right now. Yep. He's grinding in the woods for an hour. That's right. Well, he's got nothing better to do. I mean, you've seen his house. Like maybe he went and tried to kill another camp, and realized he was low level. It's too low. Too low level, and they're like, and he's like, "No, I gotta go. I gotta level up on these kids." Yeah, I'm gonna go and go grind in the level two area. That's right. But then that's when Vicky comes in. She's finally finished perfuming her panties. That's right. And it's a wonderful shot when she pulls the the bag back, the the bed sheet back, and it's Baghead Jason. No hockey mask yet. Right. No hockey mask yet. That's uh, not until the next movie. He's got- so interesting. That the iconic imagery that is Jason Voorhees does not actually coalesce until the third movie. It's weird because when I sat down to finally, you know, at 12 years old, watch Friday the 13th movies, there it was a Friday the 13th, so there was a USA Up All Night marathon. Yeah. And there was one, two, five, and seven is what I watched. <laughs> until my mom was like, why are you still awake? Go to fucking bed. <laughs> And I knew Jason and all of his mythos and the hockey mask, but when Baghead Jason shows up, I'm like, that's logical. You know, I didn't question it. I'm like, yeah, he hasn't found a hockey mask. Nobody has... That's true, there are no hockey masks around. Yeah, it it totally makes sense for him to have this fucking town that dreaded sundown sack on his head. And, uh... Was that movie popular at the time, or kind of niche? That was... meh. I mean, people knew of it. So they would have caught the reference? I don't know. I mean, basically, like, I, like he Tarantino'd it. Because Tarantino likes to throw, like, references to shit nobody's seen. Because he's a hipster. He does his hipster shit, but then he'll do the obvious shit, too. That's true. And you don't know which is which. Right. Um, he, he Tarantino convinces you you're smart. Because you'll get the obvious one, and you'll think, oh, you know, you're like fucking 
Steve Rogers in Avengers. I get that reference. That's right. Then he does like some super deep cut. He does. That he's got like one of the three copies of in the world. The other great thing of this is after she pulls it off, we get the POV of Baggins Jason with the knife as he's advancing on her and she's cowering in the corner. Yeah. Oh, really effective POV shot there. Way better than Stalker in the Woods POV. Yeah, Stalker in the Woods, classic, but also kind of pointless. And now that they're all dead, that's when Ginny and Paul come back. Of course. And they realize something's up, and they start poking about, and realizing, oh no, everybody's gone, and there's fucking blood everywhere. Probably should have been blood on the stairs, too, because Jason does drag Vicky's body down the stairs. He does, and we see him do that. As he's setting up his surprise bodies for the last act. That's right, his his uh, his altar of dead bodies. Well, he takes some back to his shed, and then he, he, he puts some on little spring-loaded traps, like in every Friday the 13th movie. Yeah, you gotta, yeah. Some are, some are, some are for scaring, some are for sacrificing to resurrect his mother, you know, whatever. And, um, we get that really good scene where Ginny realizes there's someone in the room. And the way- Yeah, that is a good scene. You know, cause Paul's poking about and she's like, Paul, there's somebody in the room. There's somebody in the fucking room! And that's when Jason pops out and attacks Paul. Right. Oh, there was a line before that that made me laugh. Paul go- comes in and goes, man, these guys smoke better weed than I do. And I said, poor Paul needs to get better weed. <laughs> he does. Because they were smoking fucking little butt-ass roaches. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Paul has really bad weed. And uh, before we get into our final girl chase, we're going to stop for a commercial real quick. Summer's almost here, and it's time to start thinking about what to do. My name is Paul Holt. I run a camp counselor training program just for eager young leaders like yourself. Now, we all know that camp counseling isn't the groovy summer job everyone says it is, but with a couple weeks at my training program, I can help make you at least an adequate camp counselor. You'll be at least better than those dead fucks that tried to open Camp Crystal Lake a few years ago. God, what a mess that was. Those people could have used some training. My camp counselor training program, you'll learn things like wilderness survival. <laughs> getting along with your colleagues. Scott, I'm going to cut you down. But I swear, if you ever do this to me again, I'm going to kill you. And wearing a dead woman's dirty sweater to pretend to be a ghost and fool an insane killer. Jason, mother is talking to you. Jason, mother is talking to you. That's actually a lot more useful than you think. And that's just a portion of the great skills you'll learn with Paul Holt's Camp Counselor Training Program. Sign up today! And we're back. So Paul has been fucked out of the movie for a bit. For a minute, yeah. I thought he was dead, but turns out not the truth. But Jenny, way more capable than Alice. Yes, actually capable of doing things. She she she's leveled up her weapon stats. Yeah, she actually knows how to use like things. I mean, when she starts up that chainsaw and comes at Jason, yeah, he's terrified. Well, he, yeah, she does some damage. He's backing oh, so away she... and they're like, no, no, no. 
she kicks him in the junk at one point. Apparently, he still has his, his genitalia, which would give him more more junk than that dude from uh, Blood Diner. Yeah, well, at this point, he still has them. Come to later sequels, it's all dead down there. Yeah, the the more superhuman he becomes, the less genitals he has. This Inversely proportional. Such are steroids. That's right. That's, yes. Your Im- the immortality comes at a price. Um, there's one of my favorite scenes in here is when he's trying to break into the bathroom door. Uh-huh. And she's holding it shut, and then she's still holding the bathroom door, but trying to open the window. Oh, yeah. And she's almost got it, and then he busts through the window. Yeah. Uh, Jason's pretty clever, actually. Yeah, and I'm like, that's an effective moment. It's really suspenseful. Um, the whole Ginny being chased by Jason, all of the antics they go through, are much more suspenseful than Final Girls and the rest of the franchise and other slashers. Yeah, and definitely more than the first movie. This is pretty intense, this this whole sequence. Well, like you said earlier, um, Jenny is more proactive than reactive. It's true. Alice is just a lost lamb running in the woods screaming. Yeah, I, very different different characters. She by chance picks up a, a skillet and then a machete. Right. But no, Jenny is finding weapons. She, she's got a fucking pitchfork at one point. Pittsburghs are great. Like they're basically just like they're they're spears essentially. They're just pronged spears. They got good reach. In the NES game, uh huh. Pitchfork is the ultimate weapon. Yeah, because like you start with rock, knife, machete, but pitchfork is your your ultimate weapon that you have to earn. <laughs> I mean, good reach. Uh, there's a scene where she's running out into the car. There's a lot. Of, I mean, there's a lot of good stuff with the car scene, but her, her the car won't start. Shocking. The convertible becomes a liability as Jason's just like tearing holes in it. But, but the thing I, the thing I like is that there's a styrofoam cup in the window. Go ahead. You don't see those anymore. Uh, her car not starting is established though. Um, she tells Paul when she shows up at camp, "My car is sick. That's why I'm late." And then when she has to move it to the parking lot, she can't even start it. Right. And there's oh, yeah. antics with Paul messing with the engine. So her car not starting is established. So it's not just a trope. Oh, it is. It is. But we are early in the, the genre history, so it's True. not a trope yet. Not quite a trope yet, no. I mean, it's, it's <coughs> uncomfortably common. Yes. Trots through the woods and ends up at the Jason house. The love shack. <laughs> the love for his mother shack. That's right. The motherly love shack. <laughs> and um, she locks him out of his own house. Which, I forgot his keys. Well, well, she puts down the bar. <laughs> it's true. And I can only wonder, Jason, on the side, locked out of my own goddamn house. I built this house. Yeah, you should have thought about the bar. I built this this house out of Lake Flotsam, for fuck's sake. That's right. And he, uh, well, he does break through, but that's when she does her whole sweater gambit. This was uh, quite quite the, quite a gambit. She uh, finds the, the shrine to Jason's mom, and it's got her head there, it's got her sweater. Like, why did he take the sweater? Like, He's a big Weezer fan. 
<laughs> if you want to destroy my sweater. So, and she puts on the sweater and she's like, Jason! She does some method acting. And it almost succeeds. Almost. But she moves just too far out of the way, so suddenly he can see the head. It's like, oh yeah, that's not my mom. It's a cool scene, though. Oh, really? Gouges the fuck out of her, her cap. Yeah, it gets a good piece of that. Like, that that's a stab that that you feel when you watch it. You're gonna need some stitches. And luckily Paul shows up, tussles with Jason, and she stabs the machete into his shoulder halfway down to his heart. Yeah. Even a... Even a that is the kind of wound you could technically survive even as a normal person, because it's... But it's gonna do a lot of damage. And that'll disable you pretty well. Oh, yeah. You're not going to be up stabbing people the next day like Jason is, though. No. Not if you're not if you're a normal human. And they get back to the, the cabins. We have a little worrisome moment with the dogs. Cause yes. There, there's sounds at the door, and they're like, okay, let's get ready. She's got the pitchfork. They're all ready to go. And they open the door, and oh, it's Muffin. So they let the, their guard down. Muffin lived. Muffin lived, and that's the, when... The, the dead dog in the forest wasn't Muffin. False false Muffin. And that's when Jason busts through the window behind Jenny and grabs her, an homage for the first film. Right. Um, Interesting thing here. Because this is the point where we have specified people that play Jason. Yeah. And the first movie, the killer stuff, was just random people. You know... Killer hands, killer boots, killer... You know, you don't really see killer shape. But Jason was played by a stuntman named Steve Dash. But the Jason that jumps through the window is a different guy. Warrington Gillette is the actor's name. That is quite a name. That is his only scene. He is face Jason that jumps through the window. Huh. All the other scenes of Jason is Steve Dash. And at cons, those two people hate each other. Really? Because Warrington Gillette is proud of being Jason, so he signs any of the Jason 2 stuff to where Steve Dash is like, you're signing my shit. You're just huh. a fucking face. This baghead Jason is me. Don't go don't go signing pictures of baghead Jason, because that's fucking me. That's so weird. It's like, uh, <laughs> Jason Wars. <laughs> Meanwhile, the kid from the first movie is like, yeah, but I was the first Jason. Yeah, do you want to hear my, my latest single from my band, First Jason? That's right. I got my, I got my tape. But Art Lehman's cool. He's cool. Yeah, he, no, he's got I, the I, right to be proud. Yeah, I know, I know. Just, uh, just teasing a little bit. Too many Jasons. There are. Um, every movie has a different actor up until Kane Hodder takes over in Seven. And then, then it's basically Kane Hodder. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's been him. I know he was in Freddy vs. Jason. So. He was not, actually. He was not? No, and he's fucking bitter about that. Oh, is he? You watch interviews with Kane Hodder, he's like, yeah, I did Jason. Except that they didn't bring me in for Freddy vs. Jason, those fucking assholes. Fucking pricks. <laughs> Brought Robert England in. Yeah, I know. He, he's really, really bitter about not being in that movie. Because by that point, he'd done 7, 8, 9, and X. It was good in X. I don't know if it was Kane Hodder in the remake or not, though. Probably was. Yeah, I haven't seen the 
remakes of any of these. Oh, I saw a remake of Nightmare on Elm Street. That was a uh, interesting. Yeah, that's something we'll have to discuss at another day. Yes, we will. But um, and that's basically how Friday the Thirteenth Two ends. Uh, we get Jenny in hospital structure going Paul, 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 and that's about yeah. What it. what happens here? This this confused the hell out of me. So Jason jumps through the damn window. Cut to Jenny on a gurney, wondering where Paul went. That's the movie. Well, there's a scene in part three where, you, where our harbinger has found a, a, an eyeball in the woods, and that's what he's, he's waving around at our, our new batch of victims. Oh. Nobody in this movie loses an eye. So presumably Paul's? So it has to be Paul's. Because it's not Jenny. Jenny, is a, they carted her off somewhere that Jason will go find her later, probably. I'm pretty sure he picked up Jenny and javelined her through Paul. <laughs> Official head cannon. There you go. Um, but final thoughts on part two? Uh, I like part two quite a bit. I like the pacing. I like the kind of oppressive feel it has to it. It's shockingly not that gory. No, it's um, not. Uh, more than surprised about that. Because it was definitely less violent than the first one, but just it was a better movie overall. But this is a callback to our previous conversation about is this movie is the fact that this movie is a little bit better, but is that is it better because of what this movie's existence does to the first movie? Okay, so you have the first movie with its its killer. Now let's suppose that this movie was not Friday the Thirteenth. Right. But the exact same movie, shot for shot. Uh-huh. Except for the flashback. Okay. Basically, this is a brand new slasher called Whatever. And because they do a good job of building up his backstory, maybe why is this guy killing? You know, they do a good part of establishing who Jason is outside of his mother. That's true. So, this could exist on its own. True. And if you look at it on its own, it's a fine movie. I mean, it is a well-paced movie. Yeah, it is. I mean, we don't get the, the 20 minutes in the fucking bathroom like we did in the first movie. Yeah, there was an awful lot of filler in the first movie. That could have been like an hour and ten minute movie pretty easily. Yeah, which they didn't want, which is why they just have so much fucking bathroom bullshit. Right. I feel like every movie in the 80s was like an hour and 28 minutes. Yeah. Um, of course, every movie now is like two hours and 48 minutes. Well, not every movie. <laughs> Just the ones I see. Just your tentpole movies and theaters. It's true. I feel like we need some intermissions back in this, like, like Lawrence of the Arabia days. We need to bring that back, especially since they've served beer in the theater. Hell yeah. And I don't have to hold my piss the whole movie because yeah. every little second of the movie is relevant. When you're making a three and a half hour Avengers movie, fuck. That's right. That Jeez. you're taking your kids to that has a bladder half your size. Yeah. Yeah. And it's off topic, but anyway, yes, no, this movie would be very good by itself. It's just the fact that they took Jason and then tied it into the other one. And kind of, I just, it kind of ruins the first movie in a lot of ways. Not ruins, but definitely diminishes. You know? 
It does. It, it does weaken the first movie, especially since it's a better made movie than the first one. I know. It still, it, it does a good job of establishing the Jason mythos, which would become its own monster. Right. And, and that's cool, because it's, it, you know, these pop culture characters are always fun to kind of have around. You know, everyone knows who, everybody who's relatively familiar with horror films know who Jason Voorhees is, right? Like, And that wouldn't exist without this movie if they just stopped it at first one. It would have just been a pretty decent, interesting slasher movie that was really more of a serial killer movie. And of course, putting that five-year gap, we have already corrupted the timeline. Yeah, the the timeline doesn't really matter much anymore after this one. Oh, there are entire debates about the timeline from this point on. Yeah, they've... they've, uh, The continuity definitely gets thinner as time goes on. I mean, you thought the Legend of Zelda timeline was bad, Jesus. <laughs> yeah, this has uh, definitely got some weird weird timing going on to it. But uh, Both of these movies are very good. Yes, they are both good. Um, we will visit this franchise again, apparently in January. Apparently that's the next time we have another Friday the 13th. Alright, well that'll be fun. Continue on with the uh, exploration of these movies. We'll get the rest of the good part of the franchise, then. <laughs> oh, so Jason X and Freddy vs. Jason. Cool. Oh, no, no, no. I, lo- <laughs> I love three and four. And, and five, five is, like, my favorite to watch. It's, it's a terrible piece of shit movie, but it's my favorite to watch. That's how I feel about uh, Nightmare on Elm Street 3 and 4. Those movies are awful, but they're so fun. Next week, we are doing Reefer Madness. Yep. With a guest. Yes. Next week it's just free from madness. No bonus next week, but hey, we're we're breaking away from the horror genre. Yeah, I mean, it's, there's so many exploitation films that fall into the the horror genre that is a big part of it, of course. But there are other bits and pieces of it. Yep, and so we're doing the classic for madness. Um, not the first exploitation film because there there, there was plenty of shit going on in the pre code before that. But this is definitely uh, influential, important. Yes. Film. Not just to the genre, but to filmmaking in general, to the history and, of propaganda, and right to cultural. <laughs> let's put it this way: there's a reason that we're still fighting for uh, <laughs> marijuana legalization in most, in many states. I have. Where I live, we're cool, bro. But... I had to watch that movie in college in a sociology class. Yeah, it's it's an important just from a, a sociological perspective, exactly. Jensen's things, it's very important. So, good but, to watch. But that was our bonus episode on Friday the 13th Part 2. Hope you enjoyed it. Special thanks to Charlie McMullen, William Wright, and Martha Page for recording the advertisements heard in this episode. Make sure to subscribe to us on Spotify, Apple, or wherever you listen to your podcasts. And if you like what we do, make sure to leave a review to let others know and help us get the word out. Follow us on Twitter at Podcast Exploit or on Instagram at Exploited Podcast. Or contact us at ExploitedPodcast at gmail.com. Uh, we'll catch you next time.